Welcome to $100 Plus Mileage, your podcast for learning about New Hampshire legislation that may fly under the radar but could still have an impact on your life. We've just reached an important milestone in the legislative session called Crossover, where bills that make it through the chamber they originated in get sent over to the other side. So, for example, the House bill we're discussing today, HB 108, got a thumbs up from the full House and has now crossed over to the Senate. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count. And I'm Mike Dunbar, Content Editor for Citizens Count. Anna, the topic we're going to talk about today really fits the format of this show perfectly. It's multifaceted and has really strong arguments on both sides. It has to do with New Hampshire's system for reporting child abuse and neglect and preventing that system from becoming weaponized. That's right. Sometimes reporting instances of child abuse can mean the difference between life and death for children in troubled homes. But what about when someone makes a report of child abuse in bad faith? For example, what if a relative falsely reports that a family member is abusing or neglecting their children simply to humiliate them? That bill I mentioned a moment ago, HB 108, would seek to punish such bad faith reports. Yes. Why don't you give us a little summary of what's in this bill? Okay. So HB 108, introduced by Rep. Jim Spillane, makes two notable changes to New Hampshire's Child Protection Act. First, the bill would allow a report of child abuse or neglect to include the name and contact information of the person making the report. This bill then makes it a misdemeanor to intentionally make false reports of child abuse and neglect. The name of a person making a report would remain confidential unless the report is, quote-unquote, made in bad faith or maliciously and with the intent to cause harm. Someone who makes a bad faith report could also be subject to civil penalties, which could allow the subject of the false report to claim damages. Yes, watching the first public hearing for this bill on YouTube, I learned something interesting. Unlike many other states, New Hampshire does not penalize individuals who knowingly make false statements of suspected child abuse to the relevant departments, courts, law enforcement agencies, or social service agency. HB 108 would establish consequences for those who make false reports in order to harass parents or otherwise weaponize the system. Importantly, proponents note that those who make good faith reports, which turn out to be erroneous, would be protected. Their names would remain confidential on reports, and they wouldn't be guilty of a misdemeanor. As you can imagine, this bill was the result of a real-world situation where the system was allegedly weaponized. At the first public hearing for this bill, Rep. Spillane told the committee that he was inspired by a constituent who was harassed by multiple false reports from their ex's new girlfriend in an attempt to sway a divorce case. When asked how it would be determined that a report was made in bad faith, Spillane explained that it would be the result of a preponderance of evidence. So that's a specific standard in courts. But generally speaking, if there was an obvious pattern of an individual making a series of false reports, they could run afoul of the law. Right. Supporters of similar laws in other states also argue that bad faith reports waste limited state resources. So this law would help focus state resources on children who are truly at risk. But there are some detractors. They worry that this new law could have a chilling effect on those considering coming forward to make a report. Reporters of child abuse might worry that their names could be unsealed if their report was ruled to be, quote unquote, in bad faith. This could reveal their identity to the accused abuser, creating an opportunity for confrontation or retaliation. There are also concerns that good faith abuse reports can follow a similar pattern to bad faith ones. A neighbor might first notice that something seems amiss and call in a report, and then call in subsequent reports as they notice other problems. It might be hard to determine if the neighbor's intentions were good or bad in this case. Some also worry that people might hear about the law through the grapevine, but miss the important detail that only knowingly false reports would be punished. 
In other words, someone who suspects abuse is taking place might hesitate to report it if they're not 100% certain. That's right. Opponents who have struck down similar bills in the past worry that HB 108 could ultimately deter people from reporting abuse or neglect, which in turn would have real world consequences for vulnerable youth. So Anna, if I have an opinion about this bill and how legislators should vote on it, what should I do? The New Hampshire House gave this bill a thumbs up, meaning the legislation now makes its way to the New Hampshire Senate for consideration. There will be a public hearing on the bill April 12th in Room 101 of the Legislative Office Building in Concord at 9 a.m. If you wish to make your voice heard for or against this proposal, attending the public hearing is a great place to start. Anyone can come and speak. And we have a handy how-to guide on our website about how to present at a public hearing. So that our website is citizenscount.org, and you can click from the homepage for our guides. We also have the advocacy toolkit, as we call it, linked from the navigation bar. So that'll help you go in and public speak before these people, although it's, I promise you it's really an easy process. The hardest process, I think, is finding parking in Concord, but that's a whole other <laughs> issue for another day. <laughs> Definitely. All right. With that heavy topic out of the way, it's time for Only in New Hampshire. What Granite State trivia do you have for us today, Anna? Here's a little story about someone who had a New Hampshire connection I wasn't aware of. A student named Theodore Geisel graduated from New Hampshire's historic Ivy League University, Dartmouth, in 1925. After he was caught drinking booze on campus, the college banned him from writing for the school's humor magazine, the Dartmouth Jack-O-Lantern. In order to continue writing for them, he adopted the now iconic pen name, Seuss. He later added the doctor because his father had allegedly always wanted him to be a professor. Yep, that's right. Dr. Seuss, homegrown here in New Hampshire at Dartmouth. Wow. I I knew he wasn't really a doctor, but I didn't know where the name came from beyond that. That's pretty crazy. I would also just like to point out that this comes, there's like a long heritage as far as I'm concerned of people in New Hampshire having surprising impact on iconic pulp culture. We have Dr. Seuss on one end, and then we also have the Ninja Turtles comic. Really? First coming to us from Dover, New Hampshire. Yes, absolutely. There's just something about absurdity children's based literature, I guess, that New Hampshire really has a, a niche. We really got that going for us. Wow. If I wasn't brimming with Granite State pride before, I think uh, now I certainly am. Absolutely. We gave you the cat in the hat and crime fighting turtles. What else do you want from life? Exactly. Exactly. All right. That wraps it up for today's episode of $100 plus mileage, but you can find more information and episodes at citizenscount.org. We'd like to thank Franklin Pierce University for producing and the Granite State News Collaborative for hosting. Our theme music is composed by Mike Dunbar. Lastly, we thank you for giving us a listen and thinking about how you can be part of what makes New Hampshire by the people for the people. 